Welcome to Take It From The Iron Woman. My name is Susanne Müller, your host and the Iron Woman. This podcast is about empowering yourself and others to make real changes in the world. You will hear from everyday, smart, sophisticated, hip people like you and me. Not everybody has to be an Iron Woman to impress the world. Together, we will learn from the sports and business leaders how you can become a more successful person as an entrepreneur or a leader. It's one step at a time, one day at a time. Take your steps now. Take your big steps now. Join me on this journey to success. Okay, take it from the Iron Woman. Hello and good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everybody. We have Sean Whalen with us. He is the marathon runner. He lives in the Boston area, so we want to hear from him. So, Sean, introduce yourselves. Who is Sean, who will be with us today on the podcast? All right. I am Sean Whalen, and I grew up in Wellesley, Massachusetts, which happens to be the halfway point of the Boston Marathon. Actually, I moved to Wellesley when I was about 12 years old, but I was able to see from the very first that the Boston Marathon came right through our town. I am now 59 years old. I've been a runner since I was 12 years old, basically. How I got into it is kind of funny. I used to love to run at recess, and a lot of times instead of playing with the other kids, I'd run around the field. And growing up in New Jersey, my next-door neighbor, my, my best friend's father, was actually the wrestling coach at Princeton University, and he used to get up every morning and run two or three miles. And all us kids used to watch him, and then we started joining in. So the big thing was to run with Mr. Johnson every morning <laughs> for a mile or two. And it just seemed like a natural thing to me. When I was about 12, I joined the track team. And uh, it's funny because I was wrestling at the time and I was trying to keep in shape for wrestling. And I started off the track team as a shot putter because I had a growth spurt. Mm. And the coach used to see, make everybody do a mile warm up before our workouts. And he kept looking at me doing the mile warm up. He said, I'm going to take that shot putter and I'm going to put him in a half mile. Oh. So he did that. And I ran a 228 the first time I ever tried it and 12 years old. And then he said, you know something, next week I'm going to put you in the mile. And I said, well, how do I pace a mile? That's a long way. And he goes, well, just go just like you did in the half mile, but go twice as far. So I did. <laughs> and I ran a 458 the first time I ever tried a mile at 12 years old. So amazing. That, that was the beginning of a long teenage running career. I ran all through high school, uh, was winning most, most almost all my races I was always in the mix in the state meets you know in the top five or ten wow, uh, cross country and, track and stuff so it's just a part of me and I've always run uh, even if I wasn't competing I'd love to go out and run mm. so. <laughs> that's amazing and it seems like you always won right so what is this so we get competitive how did you translate that into your professional life or your later years I'm wondering it was I was very competitive. In fact, to a fault, I got to the point where I, it was encompassing my whole life. I really wanted to, I was getting too worked up for my, mm. for my races. I was getting too worked up for my workouts. And I realized when I was about 18 years old that I had to step away from it for a while from mm. racing. And I did. I kept running every day because it was a mental thing as well as anything. It was a physical break. I love the feeling of it. But I stopped competing for well, a good long time. I did throw one marathon in there when I was 19 just to try it. 
But between the ages of 18 and about 22, I didn't compete at all except for that one ra mar uh, marathon race run. And what, what do you think made you stop? Is, is that because you felt like I'm too competitive with the world, with myself? Yes. Yes. There's a lot of pressure. I'm mostly mm -hmm. put on by myself because people knew my name. And a lot of the people that I was running with went on to become world-class runners. And I was always a little bit embarrassed that I wasn't quite making that next step up. I mean, not to throw names around, but Alberto Salazar lived two miles away from me, was a year or two older than me. So I'd run into Alberto all the time. Uh, we had a New England's two-mile champion a couple years ahead of me in high school. We just had a huge running community in the area. Yeah. And to be successful after being successful for three or four years was kind of like, I've had enough of this. I need to step away and just enjoy it. Yeah. So that's pretty much what I did. Interesting to see. So I think when you're always with those elite, like not everybody can be number one, right? How is it then if you're number four or five? So you're like almost like nobody compared to the number one and number two. So it's psychologically, it's difficult. Right. And you're young, 18, 19, right? You're like, I want to yeah. be the number one. How did you right. get over that? Yeah, and I'd grown up, you know, being number one. And to, to step away and realize there are guys, no matter how hard I train, who are going to beat me and are faster than yeah. me was kind of a, a little bit of a blow. I did run the Newport Marathon in Newport, Rhode Island in 1979, and I did it on about a week's notice. I've been running probably 50, 60 miles a week, and I decided about a week before, like, oh, I've got next weekend off, and the Newport Marathon is, and I have a friend going down, so I'm going to go down and join it. So I joined up to my first marathon with about a week's notice. I think I maybe threw in a 16 or 17-mile run there along the way, like a week beforehand, just to test it out. And I ran a 249 at the age of 19 at uh, Newport. So Fabulous. And then after that, I didn't really race again for two or three more years. And when I did sneak back into racing, I used to use aliases instead of using my name so that my name wouldn't appear halfway down the listing, you know, the results page. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I wanted to be in shape before I started have my name out there. So it's, it was a very self-conscious thing and it probably was a little bit uh, self-destructive in the fact that I really didn't want to be seen as not an elite runner all the time. Wow. So, so you, what kind of names did you have? Like Fast Joe or? No, no, I, I used to use one like, uh, well, I used to use, going back to an old Monty Python skit, there was a character named Dinsdale Piranha. Uh -huh. So I would use Dinsdale Piranha sometimes. Another one was Rusty Patina. Something that was kind of a half-joke name, but wouldn't raise too many eyebrows. Yeah. Or, or Miles Runner, I used once. Am no, I, that's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> and what if, I mean, like, these were the days before all the chips and everything, right? But what about age? And so you, I think when people are cheating with their, with their age, they put them in the 35 to 40 age group because that's the most competitive age group. How was right. that? Well, this was back in the day of popsicle sticks. Yes. You'd hit the finish line, they'd hand you a popsicle stick, and that had your place on it. And that's where you, you know, and you'd hand in your stick and tell them your name, and they'd write it down. This was way, wow. you know, this is 1979, 1980, when road racing, you know, was just coming into its fruition as a big event. Wow. I hadn't figured out all the logistics yet back then. You can write um, a book about your names. This is, you're a pioneer, <laughs> right? Right. And the other strange thing that happened around this time is that Boston area, especially the Greater Boston Track Club, 
had some great runners with Bill Rogers and uh, Randy Thomas and people like that. Mm-hmm. But New Balance, which was a couple towns over, started to house all their elite athletes in Wellesley. So I'd be running down the street and there would be Greg Meyer. There would be uh, Bill Rogers uh, moved to Sherburne a few towns away, a couple towns away. So on any given day, I could go out and see the world's best runners running down my street. And it was definitely an uh, uplifting experience as well, where you want to run with a pack. And if you can keep up with that pack, you're doing pretty well. I'm, so, I'm envious of those times, right? And also your your pace. Oh my God, this is amazing. So, but I mean, I was just running, you know, up until I was about 23, I was just running for fun because I felt like mm-hmm. the fitness and the mental break that it gave me and uh, general feeling of well-being. And then I started to slide back. Actually, another funny story is I slid back into a, um, a, a girlfriend, a girl I was dating at the time decided she wanted to run the local 10K. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I used to run. I'll jump in with you. And I was just running along with her. And about halfway through it, I started seeing red. Like, okay, the competitive juices are coming back. I can't just run, you know, here at my 6.30 pace or whatever I was doing at the time. So I launched into a 5.15 mile or something like that. And I went another mile like that, another mile like that. And I said, you know, I missed this. <laughs> so that's when I started to get back into racing again. I kind of realized I missed this competitive fire. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And how many marathons in total have you completed so far? I've done four. Only four. four. Yep. I did, okay. um, I did Newport in 1979, mm-hmm. and then I did Boston in 1984, mm-hmm. and then I did the Coast of Maine Marathon in fall of 84, and then mm-hmm. Boston in 1985. Boston in 1984, I ran a 232.04. I started at the way in the back of the pack because I didn't want to be in people's way, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized that was a mistake right off because it took me two minutes just to hit the starting line. Mm-hmm. My, my clock time was 2.34, but my watch time was 2.32 because it took me two minutes to get to the starting line. <laughs> and then I ran the coast of Maine that fall, and I think I ran a 2.35 there. And then the next year at Boston in 1985, I went for broke, and uh, I trained up for it hard, started training in uh, the end of November. And I was on 220 pace up to about 22 miles. And then you hear about the wall? Oh, well, yeah. I found the wall and then it landed on me. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my whole life. It was all of a sudden, I got up over Heartbreak Hill and over the hills and mm-hmm. past Bill Rogers' store on my left. And we started going downhill in the Cleveland Circle area. And I'm a great downhill runner. And I thought, okay, I'm going to start reeling in some people. I had a yeah. couple of friends just ahead of me. And within half a mile, it felt like somebody had come out and hit me over the head with a baseball bat. Um, everything went gray. I got tunnel vision. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't run straight. I kind of felt like I was running in, um, in, in, in oatmeal. <laughs> and I slogged in the last four miles in probably 12-minute miles and ended up running a 247-something. Ooh, that but, uh, hurts, to- right, when you're on such a course. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was probably the end of my my racing career for another 12, 15 years. I didn't want to go back to that place. <laughs> but I made a huge mistake in uh, because the year year B2, the two marathons I'd run before that, I had so much left over at the end. I was like, darn, I wish I could have run faster. I should have run. I should have started faster. So I went for broke. And it definitely came back and bit me. <laughs> well, we all know the marathon only starts at mile 20, right? So you that's need to right. conserve 
and we all know the Boston. I did it three times, the Heartbreak Hill. I have mm -hmm. to say, when I ran it the first time, everybody was talking about Heartbreak Hill, and I was so trained. I knew, and I was flying up, and I was like, who is talking about those hills? Nothing. But then for me, the downhill was easy. I used to be a skier in Switzerland. But mm -hmm. then the hardest part were the last four miles that are so flat. Psychologically, I was done. Right. This was the hardest for me. So the next time I trained, I was like, let me train for the hills, but also the last four miles flat. So I always would train uphill, 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 and then a period of flat, boring mm -hmm. miles. So that was right. my training. Yeah, it's all meant in a way. Well, it's funny because your quads get burnt going up the hill and then you get the downhill and your quadriceps starts saying, okay, now I'm doing a braking action instead of a lifting action yeah. and they just scream. They just scream yeah. at you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm sure you have many stories. And then, so you stopped a little bit and did you still run every day or do you oh, still yes. run every I day? Ran, I ran every day I could pretty much mm -hmm. um, in between work and everything, but I was probably averaging 40 or 50 miles a week all those years, even when I wasn't competing in racing. Yeah. And it was also a, a work schedule thing. A lot of times my, my work schedule meant that I couldn't get room, couldn't run on weekends, uh, couldn't run, you know, I have to run at night and miss races and things like that. Yeah. But no, I kept, it's, it's, I'm a runner. I mean, it's part of my anatomy. It's, I'm not running. People used to ask me, what are you training for? What event? Yeah. What race? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm just out running. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of well, people couldn't understand. I know people you know. cannot understand. I always say, you don't want to be around me when I don't run. So how would that be for you if you don't run? Um, it's, I do get testy. Uh, I'm not a, quite as happy a person when I'm not running as I am when I am okay. running. And there have been a couple, I've had a couple injuries along the way. It would have kept me off for six or eight months or a year. Two bone spurs on my heels I had ever moved. That kept me off my feet. And I was on a bicycle, you know, three weeks later. And uh, it helps. It's not quite the same, but it helps. Yeah getting the bicycle. But, and um, I think you told me you were also skiing. So what else are you doing? Running, biking, skiing? Well, yes, um, an avid skier, uh, downhill and cross country. I used to cross country ski back in high school when I was training for running as well, which was very odd back then because nobody ever skied in America back then. Mm -hmm. But I got into downhill skiing in my late 20s and uh, do a lot of that. Between And then I'm, I'm also into yoga. I do yoga three or four times a week now when I, when I have time. Yeah. Very important for runners, especially mm -hmm. as we get older. You have to keep them at the flexibility and, and everything going. And then during the summer, I uh, also do some rowing. I've got a rowing skull and uh, I live on the water on the place uh, during the summer so I can get out and row a few days a week. Try and keep wow. active. Yeah. A wealth of information. And I'm curious to find out, so what if we have some listeners and they're new to running or they think we're crazy when we run and listening to you? What kind of advice would you have for people who want to start getting into running or keep up running and get faster and get to the 230 or 220 marathons? Well, um, unfortunately, that's... Uh that's not in everybody's genetics okay. to be fast. Okay. I, I, I was a track runner in high school and I was never quite fast enough to continue being a track runner. Mm -hmm. So I kind of switched up to road racing and then I realized I was kind of a little bit big and bulky for marathons. So I did more road racing than anything, somewhere between 10 K and 12 miles is my sweet spot. But as a beginning runner, the most important thing is you have to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Don't think of it as trudgery. Don't think you have to go out and do it. If, if it comes a day where you just don't feel like going out and running, don't go and run. 
you know, go find something else, do something else a little different, do some stretching. There, there are days where I just don't feel like doing it. I'm either too tired or something else is going on. Don't beat yourself up over it. It really has to be an enjoyable experience. Um, and if it's not, it's probably not for you. But I'm thinking that most people, once they get out there, and the other thing is the hardest step is the first one out the door. Okay. Always. That's always it. There's been so many times where I'm putting on my shoes and I'm doing a couple stretches and I look outside and it's 35 degrees and raining. And I thought, do I really want to do this? Mm -hmm. I go out the door and 150 yards, 200 yards later, I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) This is great. Even though it's raining and it's pouring and it's cold, I'm loving this. So get out the door and just do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Make sure you enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, change your setting. Maybe you don't like running in the street. Maybe you like running in the woods. Some people don't like hills. Just avoid them. But do what you enjoy to do it and make it fun. I think that's the most important. Yeah, so these are very good recommendations. And you also mentioned you do yoga. I remember when I started yoga, there were, like, there were no guys in yoga. So tell me, how did you start yoga? Or is that just because you needed to stretch more? I needed to stretch more, and I remember reading when I was 15 or so in maybe Runner's World magazine that yoga was a good thing for runners. So I went and ordered a, well, I went down to the local store and got a book on yoga, and it showed the maybe 15 basic poses that were stretching in yoga poses, and I used to do those. So I incorporated that into my life when I was about 15. And kind of got out of it for a while. I, I kept maintaining some of the stretches, but I wasn't actually doing yoga flow or yoga poses as much as I was just stretching. Mm-hmm. And then maybe about 15 years ago, I uh, started getting back into it again, just because there was a yoga class down the street from my, uh, at a gym. And I said, you know, I, I, I remember yoga. I'm, I can still do it. And I know it's important. Yeah. So, yeah. I, th- I think it's super important. And, when you run too much, probably also as a beginner runner, you get injured, you get frustrated. So I think it's important to have that balance. If it's biking or weightlifting, whatever it is, don't focus so much on one thing. You have to be very well-rounded. And the other thing I wanted to say is I don't like hot yoga. I find that I sweat enough if I'm running <laughs> and that the hot yoga where I'm supposed to be sweating all the impurities out of my system and everything that's kind of going beyond what I need at this point. So I try to then avoid the hot classes. So, okay. if, you know, cause they do, they do detrimental to my running, especially during the summer. Um, I can't do a hot yoga class and go out and run in 90 degree heat and survive very well. Um, so I try to just, uh, the regular old yoga doesn't have to be hot, doesn't have to be too strenuous. <laughs> Good. Wow. And you still do some races, like some people, they say like, oh, let's do some turkey Thanksgiving races or, or you just run for yourself. I run for myself. And if I happen to be in fairly good shape, when a race comes up, I will jump into it. But I don't really plan too much ahead to racing. I, I actually gone back to the Falmouth Road Race the last couple of years in a row. That's a nice one, yeah. It's funny because I ran Falmouth when I was 15 and 16. Mm-hmm. And I remember back then it was just a low-key event. And I remember at the end of Falmouth when I was 15 years old, I sat down at a picnic table and was drinking a, a Coca-Cola. And who sits down next to me but Bill Rogers on one side and Frank Shorter on the other. And here I am 15 years old and I'm sitting next to Bill Rogers and Frank Shorter. And I thought, I'm never going to top this. This is crazy. And so I didn't go back to Falmouth for years after that because I didn't want to tarnish that image 
of how I left it, you know, years ago. So I've now become, I'm still friends with some elite runners and I got invited back down to Thamath. I went back down this past summer or two summers ago. All the old elites kind of congregate in a, together. Here I am, I'm finding myself back with Jeff Smith and Steve Jones and Rod Dixon and we're all in the same place. And I'm like, oh my God, these, you know, these guys are my idols. Yeah. And how could I miss this for so many years? <laughs> so I do want to down it. But mostly it's just kind of local road races that pop up. Mm -hmm. And if I feel like I'm in shape and have time and just want to do it, I, I'll jump in. And are you using your name now or you still have a... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Back okay. to old Sean Mellon. That was only for a couple of years, maybe maybe a, few, maybe a year in, around 1983 when... Uh, I just didn't, I was just embarrassed. I was embarrassed to be running. I was a 31 minute 10 K guy and I didn't want to be seen in newspapers as running a 34 or 35 minute 10 K. So <laughs> I think that's a very good problem to have when you're so fast. So Sean, thank you so much. This was so inspirational. I feel like I need to go out for a run now. Certainly I'm in training and I'm happy to interview all those marathon people. And thank you so much for your time. That was really great. Okay. I'm going out for eight miles right now. It's a beautiful sunny day. So we'll see you out there on the roads. Enjoy it. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. How inspiring to hear Sean's story. Well, many more marathon stories will be coming. Every Monday, we have a new episode waiting for you. Leave us a comment and chime in next week. Take it from the Iron Woman. <laughs> <laughs>